Thanks for tuning back in for part two of the Permanente Medicine Podcast with Dr. Ed Ellison. All right, Dr. Ellison, let's dive back in. So, Ed, as you think back uh, on your career and as a family practice physician, was there a patient encounter or engagement that changed you as a doctor? Well, the, it's, it's hard to pick out. There, there are so many. I had a patient who was a baker, and he was a retired baker, and he had pretty severe congestive heart failure. And every time he would come to see me, he would bring me something that he baked. And then he passed away. Mm-hmm. And the next day, his wife came to my office and brought me the last thing he baked that he had intended to bring to me. And it really touched me. And it made me realize that, again, it's it's just such a privilege to be with others. You know, and sometimes we can't save their lives. We can't save every life. But when we approach you with compassion and caring and the best that we have to give, um, how much that means to those that we are privileged to care for. You know, one thing I've found is that there's few professions in life and in society where the individual and the profession become intertwined. And I think a physician is, is one of those. Exactly right. And, you know, sometimes we don't appreciate it as much until it impacts us. Uh, I've shared with you the story of my father passed away, but my, my dad had cancer and my parents were living back east. And I got a phone call that he was had taken a turn for the worse. I've been visiting every every month or so anyway, but I dropped everything, flew back, and his cancer had spread. We brought him home on hospice, and I've got to tell you, I had appreciation for hospice workers before I'd had patients tell me how wonderful they were, but when I actually experienced them with my dad, it just drove home. They are angels. They're absolute angels. But at, at the end of my dad's life, and we had him home, and my mom and my sister and I were standing around um, his bed holding hands, with him. And it just made me realize to the greater degree I ever had before, again, what a privilege it is to be able to be part of a healing profession and what a difference we make, sometimes not because we're able to do miraculous things and and save lives, even though that happens every day, but sometimes just holding someone's hand is the most powerful thing you can do for them. It's so true. And the relationship that gets created between a patient and a doctor is one of unbelievable trust and confidence and love. And you almost become part of their family. You often say, whether you're standing in line at the grocery store or standing in front of 8,000 doctors in Southern California or testifying before Congress, that Kaiser Permanente is the answer for health and health care in America. What do you think makes Kaiser Permanente so well suited to lead the transformation of American healthcare? Well, there's a obviously uh, we could talk about that for a long time, but I'd like I want to start with a, a little bit of an anecdote. I speak to my physicians um, in large groups, each medical center, and I've noticed over time that we hire more and more physicians from other practice settings, not just from residency or fellowship, but from other practice settings. And one of the physicians raised his hand and said, Ed, I'm one of those doctors who joined from an outside group. And the reason I came here is because we practice ethical medicine. 
He said, where I came from, we were incented to do things that weren't necessary because that's the only way we were reimbursed and I couldn't sleep at night. But since I joined Permanente, I sleep like a baby because we do the right things for the right reasons. We don't do too much, things that shouldn't be done just to be compensated. We don't withhold care. We do the right things for the right reasons. I love that term, ethical medicine. It's also because we look at the entirety of the patient. Uh, we look across the continuum of care. We look at those things that, that bring value to patient care. We're always looking to improve. It's an extraordinarily collegial and collaborative environment. It's evidence-based. It's all of those things that allow us to provide the best care for our patients in a way that supports, I think, the most affordable delivery of that care, effective use of resources, but always with quality first, always with quality as, as our North Star, always thinking about innovation, always thinking about the individual, respecting every individual for their diverse background, understanding how we can best serve, serve them. So it, it just all comes together for me. That's wonderful. Um, you often talk about the, the importance of leadership and leadership development. How would you characterize your leadership style? Well, I believe that, again, culture is everything. And if you can create a, a culture that is, uh, lives the values that you believe in, so again, patient-centered, evidence-based, quality is your North Star, collegial, uh, collaborative, innovative, inclusive, then everything else gets easier. So as a leader, I also believe that the famous Disney line about everything speaks. Everything you do and the way that you do it moves you toward or away from that culture that you desire. So my job is to always be moving toward that culture. We know that if you're not intentional about it, you end up with a default culture and default cultures are almost always cultures of negativity. So how do I drive that right kind of outcome, that right kind of culture? I believe in collaboration. I believe in communication. I believe in transparency. Uh, I believe in inspiring discretionary effort that we do the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do. When you bring all that together, uh, I believe that every one of us is a leader. It's the one of my colleagues had a great statement that said, you know, partnership in our medical group is not a piece of paper. It's a state of mind. It's how you show up every day. And all of us are leaders. All physicians are leaders. The nurses look to you. The staff look to you to set the tone in the exam room, in the operating room, labor and delivery, no matter where you are. Although we're very much part of a team and we value and respect and, and enjoy all the benefits of, of being parts of these, these wonderful teams and our teammates, physicians are looked to to set the tone. Thank you. A keen awareness of the importance of diversity and inclusion in medicine is evident in the way you carry yourself every day and foster the culture among the physicians that you lead. Why is this important to you? And how would you like to see KP and, quite frankly, all of healthcare evolve in the future? Well, I love what we've learned in our Equity, Inclusion, Diversity conference a year ago in which we learned that diversity in and of itself does not give you the outcomes that you're looking for because a diverse room of people who aren't interacting differently isn't going to change our world very much. But inclusion, inclusion is what you do with your diversity. So how we interact with each other, hear each other's voices, um, respect each other's opinions. It's so important because we do serve diverse populations. And I, I believe that it's all related to quality and wellness. So the more we create environments that are 
safe and respectful in which people can speak up, that's a safer culture. We know that safety culture is a speak up culture. We know that when we have a greater sensitivity to and awareness of diverse populations and have a diverse workforce, we're going to do a better job of serving our patients. That's higher quality of care. It's so true. I recall not too long ago, you testified on the President's Commission combating drug addiction and the opioid crisis. You shared solutions that you had helped implement in SEPMG in Southern California and then spread those throughout the rest of Kaiser Permanente. Tell us more about what you shared and the impact that you would like to see. Well, this is a great example of just identifying committed, passionate, smart people and getting out of their way and the the power of teams. But physicians and pharmacists and care teams came together and began leveraging our data systems and our information to identify patients at risk, to identify patients who were filling opioid prescriptions at a rate that was higher than, than they should be. You know, for many years, physicians were really pushed to, to manage pain, and opioids were encouraged to be prescribed. And we've learned so much more now about that, the epidemic and the, the, the dangers of that. So we had to course correct a whole culture in our country around how we manage pain and begin leveraging alternative modalities of pain management. And as we began to learn how to do that and engage our pharmacy colleagues and putting hard stops in refills so that if it was above a certain number or frequency, that it wouldn't be refilled unless the physician was consulted and really understood and that we increased reliance on on alternative modalities to pain and referrals to pain specialists. And we began to make a difference. And then the great thing about Kaiser Permanente and our Permanente medical groups is we compared notes and we identified practices that work and we shared and we spread and we learned. And it's an iterative process, right? As we did it more, we learned more, we made it better. You share, you spread, you make it better. You share, you spread, you make it better. And that's the work. Now, there's so much more to do and there's so many more lives to be saved. But we can look back and take some satisfaction that we have been able to make some significant reductions in the opioids that are at greatest risk of causing harm. I have been so impressed at how you've taken something in Southern California, figured it out, shared it liberally across Kaiser Permanente and across other healthcare systems, and then challenged others to make it better. Well, right. And the good news is because of our size, because of our incredible and innovative spirit in all of the medical groups, we learn from each other. So just as we've been able to share our learnings, we've learned from others on so many efforts that they've undertaken. And so, again, that virtuous cycle of ongoing learning, continuous improvement, the best at getting better. You know, I've talked about that best at getting better concept. That's what we strive to be. What are the biggest changes from your perspective, Ed, that are needed in healthcare in America? Well, the biggest changes we need, first of all, is, uh, is access to care, is the ability for those who need care to access care that is comprehensive, that is evidence-based, that's compassionate, uh, that's caring, that looks at the needs of the individual uh, for who that individual is and not a one-size-fits-all because, again, we know that it isn't one-size-fits-all. Uh, it's a, a need to understand, the, again, the social determinants of care and what's safety nets or what social programs would make a difference for those individuals. It's, it's education. Oh, my gosh. If we could, again, change behavior to the healthier behaviors, we could save so much suffering in this country and reduce the need, for frankly, for health care. 
So it's really about access to care, evidence-based care, individually um, tailored care based on what we know about social determinants of care and education. You know, as I have watched over really a very short and fast five years in your leadership role in Southern California, I've seen that geography grow by a million members. I've seen the Georgia region be transformed and turned around. I've seen plans and blueprints and and um, concrete being poured for a medical school. I've seen record-setting uh, prevention programs and disease management programs and literally tens of thousands of lives saved. And as an individual, to kind of comprehend, I think, the magnitude of impact that you're having, and you're having with a big team because you're motivating you know, hundreds and thousands of individuals. I just can't tell you, Dr. Ellison, how proud, how pleased I am to call you a colleague and a dear friend. You're simply amazing. And from my perspective, you're one of the most focused, thoughtful, innovative, and courageous leaders in healthcare, and quite frankly, any industry. It's been such a privilege to spend this afternoon with you. I wanna thank you for sharing your stories, sharing a bit about yourself, and your thoughts on the future of healthcare. I have no doubt that there's a next generation of physicians that are gonna graduate from the Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine, motivated by your vision, that will transform healthcare forever. So thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. What a, what a joy. I appreciate it and appreciate you. Thank you.